All right, and we are live. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to Connected Learning TV. This is our final webinar in a special two-month-long series titled Post-Connected Educator Month, A Connected Mindset, and it's also the final webinar for us of the 2014 calendar year. So uh, thanks to everybody here who's joined us, and Cheryl, do you want to start us off real quick? Sure. I'm excited to be here, especially with the guests we have today, and of course with my co-host, John. Um, so I'm Cheryl Nussbaum Beach. For those of you that don't know who I am, I'm the co-founder of Powerful Learning Practice, and I'm also the co-chair for the recent Connected Educator Month. Um, I'll be working today um, in this uh, webinar with John uh, Barilloni. Did I get it right that time, John Barilloni? Great Italian name. Good. And... Um, Throughout all of these series, the last ones that we've done, I think this is our fourth one um, in the series and our final one today, we've been introducing you to some of the um, insights, the best practices, and different kinds of memories that have come out of Connected Educator Month that we had back in October. So if you're getting ready to watch this with us, please tweet it out. We're using um, hashtag CE14, so CE14, and we'd love for you to get the word out and get other people to come and participate with us. Uh, we'll be reflecting not only on the great things going on in um, Nashville Public Schools, but also uh, reminiscing about Connected Educator Month. John? Yeah, thanks, Cheryl. And today we're chatting specifically, like Cheryl mentioned, um, with a couple of people who are the leaders of the whole community engagement theme from Connected Educator Month. And as is typical here on Connected Learning TV, before we get going into all the good stuff, let's just go over a couple quick details. So those who are watching us live right now, we really welcome your comments and your questions, either via the Twitter hashtag that Cheryl mentioned, CE14, that's CE numbers one and four, or via the Google Plus event page. And we'll do our best to pull in any questions and comments that you guys have and address them here in the Google Plus Hangout. And we're also chatting throughout the month, again, on Google Plus in the Connected Learning community. So if you search for the Connected Learning community on Google Plus, hopefully you'll connect in there and make some new friends. So I'd like to give our guests a quick chance to introduce themselves. And apologies in advance. They're uh, dealing with a little bit of limited bandwidth, so it's just going to be audio. Um, but Keisha, do you want to go ahead and start us off there? Yes. Hello, everybody. This is Keisha Ray, and I am the Executive Director of Learning Technology and Library Sciences in Nashville Public Schools. And uh, I'm joined by Stephanie Hamm, our illustrious lead librarian who will explain her title and oh, what she yes. does. Um, hello everyone, I am Stephanie Hamm and as Keisha said I am the lead librarian for Metro Nashville Public Schools and I have the privilege to work along Dr. Ray every day as oh. we transform uh, Nashville schools. Thank you Stephanie and you are seeing our pictures because we are still at work in our offices and uh, we apologize in advance but our bandwidth is is somewhat restrictive with video, so. No worries, we will make do. And good timing because it looks like we're also joined here by Tom DeVore. So Tom, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. And uh, Tom is also um, co-moderating with us this evening. Hi, yes, uh, great to be here. Um, Keisha, Stephanie, 
Great to see you again. Actually, I don't know if this may be the first time we've actually seen each other. Um, and uh, really thrilled to be here. Kudos to John for, for organizing this entire series, which I think has been fantastic and a really great way to uh, wrap up Connected Educator Month. I work closely with Cheryl on CEM. I've been involved with the Connected Educators Initiative uh, since it started, uh, and I've been involved with online communities and education since the early 90s. Um, so uh, terrific to be here. This is a, a topic that uh, I think is really important. I was thrilled that it was chosen as one of the themes for this year's event and thrilled that we have uh, Keisha and Stephanie here with us um, who have been modeling this uh, in, in the, the Metropolitan Nashville Public Schools for some time now. Thank you so much, Tom. It's uh, it, This was one of the topics that I believe you were most passionate about, so we're thrilled that uh, Keisha and Stephanie can come and talk a little bit about what happened. So let's get started with that. Keisha and uh, Stephanie, what I'd love to know is what drew you to Connected Educator Month? I mean, how does the vision of educators connecting um, with one another speak to you, both personally and then also in your, in your district? So how did you end up um, being involved in Connected Educator Month? Well, Cheryl, this is Stephanie, and I will go ahead and um, start off with that question. Uh, we felt very fortunate to be involved um, in Connected Educator Month, um, obviously with Dr. Ray's role as um, the board chair for ISTE. She had been very involved in hearing a lot about the program, and we were just fortunate enough to be asked to join. Um, on a personal standpoint, um, you know, I always up until probably about two years ago, just kind of did a little stalking on Twitter and saw everything happening, not necessarily um, watching from afar, I guess, that you uh, could say what we, um, what I personally was doing. Um, and as for our district, um, one thing I'm really proud of that uh, MMPS has embraced is really encouraging educators, principals um, to really you know, we're really starting with Twitter and using that to build their um, PLNs um, here in Nashville, and we've just really seen um, a big expansion of that. Um, we've had our first Twitter chat with librarians, and um, it just seemed like the next step to really push our educators and our teachers and our parents um, to be involved in Connected Educator Month, and it just seemed like a natural uh, progression for us here in Nashville. Um, Keisha and Stephanie, I'm wondering as you sort of experienced the month, um, uh, what were some of the highlights for you and what were things that you thought really worked well that you were involved with or led or participated in uh, that, that you want, might want to share with the group? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, I would say probably one of the things that I was um, really surprised about is I have lived in Nashville now for um, 10 years and just actually starting with the research locally of all the things that our school district does to connect with um, the community. That was just really eye-opening for me to see how much our academies um, of Nashville, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, um, have expanded with community outreach um, in terms of that and having a webinar available for um, educators across the world. That was actually um, a pretty, pretty awesome experience for us to host. Um, I would also say um, one of the other was just having a lot of research on what other um, people are doing, uh, large organizations are doing um, across the country. Uh, we received information from, um, you know, parent groups and um, 
the National Education Association, and we're just very, very fortunate to learn a lot and really see where educators can play a um, large role in supporting communities and parents to be engaged not only with educators directly at schools, but across um, you know digital platforms as well. That's great. Thank you so much for that, Stephanie. Keisha, were there any uh, trends or commonality in conversation? Anything that sort of got your ear as we went through the month? Cheryl, actually, Keisha just ran out real quick, but she'll be right back in. So if we can hold on to that question, then she will, she'll be able to answer that. Actually, she's walking right back in the door. So if you want to ask that question okay. again, she's right here. Okay. <laughs> hey, Keisha. Hello. So, sorry, my hello. our boss came in. That's always a reason to leave. <laughs> That's okay. We certainly understand that. I was wondering, Stephanie was sharing a little bit about the highlights of the month and some things that really worked. And I was wondering, from your perspective, what were the larger issues or the trends or things that really got your attention as you went through Connected Educator Month, either um, the event as a whole or, in particular, the way that Nashville Public Schools um, engaged? Well, I'm really happy that we were able to engage, so thank you for including us. I think that what is inspiring to me about Connected Educator Month is that it, it kind of brings all of us together, and this year I think it may have been the first time, although you would know this better than I, that we've been more universal and global with that approach, but it brings us together around a common uh, purpose to connect educators nationwide and, and worldwide toward a common purpose of improving communication, improving use of technology, improving connections with parents. Um, you know, it's just, it's a movement. And to have it when we have it at the beginning of a school year um, really helps us get focused on kind of we're part of a bigger community and more people than just us in our district are struggling with these same issues. And we have people that we can connect with thanks to this wonderful program that now I'm not alone and I don't have to feel alone. So that was really powerful to me in, in the just experience. I think for what we did, it was interesting because it's, it's something that we do, but we don't realize we connect community and parents as much it's kind of interesting that when you do something every day you kind of forget that you do it and so we connect a lot with parents and community that's why I had to step out I had a, a community member that wants to schedule a meeting with me and uh, right now and I'm not available um, but we're so open door with our community members and our parents and our um, you know other constituents that you just kind of make this random assumption that that must be how everybody does it and so it was really interesting to be reflective on our practices and then to share what we do with others but also to to pull in organizations that we find uh, very useful and, and pivotal in our progress and share them with the rest of the, the community the connected learning community um, so that they can kind of see what what we see and how we use those resources. National PTA um, was one of our kind of key partners, and 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 NEA. 
and NEA, I, you know, we have a member of the executive board that's also in our school district, so we kind of feel like we're on really, you know, like we have a problem, call NEA. <laughs> so we, I don't know, we just really appreciated the opportunity and we really grew from the experience. Thank you for that very much. I appreciate that. But you're kind of in a unique experience too in a situation because you're also the chair for ISTE's board. And so you kind of wore two hats. Um, and it was interesting watching you juggle that as you went through. So, Tom, did you yeah, have something you'd like say, to ask? I was going to ask for those who are listening who aren't familiar with uh, all that you've, that you've done at, in, in the National Public Schools to really model whole community engagement. I wondered if you might want to share a little bit some of the, some of the initiatives that you've uh, put forward in Nashville that you're particularly pleased with and proud of in terms of involving parents and other community members. In, in your schools? So one of the things that we uh, did in 2009, I guess we started it, is we started um, these huge groups that were called transformational leadership groups. And the transformational leadership groups were 150 people engaged around one topic, uh, but there were eight topics. So I was uh, my topic was technology in the classroom and there were 150 people that were part of that and they represented all parts in, of the community so the faith-based community, the nonprofit community, the for-profit community, uh, people in public schools, private schools, independent schools, uh, church schools, charter schools, we were all around the table um, because Nashville from the mayor to the city council to the superintendent to the school board feels that education is the most important thing our community does. And so from that transformational leadership that we kind of pulled together to transform the district to prevent a state takeover, um, then we engaged in uh, something called alignment. So a whole, a whole uh, nonprofit organization was born out of that and it's called Alignment Nashville. Now they've replicated that model in a lot of cities uh, nationwide. Uh, their most recent trip was to Hawaii to take the model to Hawaii. And uh, Alignment brings together all the nonprofits in the community around the district strategic plan. So with that, when the district writes a strategic plan, we have kind of action plans that are part of that strategic plan. Our action plan is the learning technology plan. And alignment develops a committee around that plan. And then we as a school district are accountable, or I as the department head am accountable to that committee that consists of CEOs of companies, uh, members of nonprofits, parents, uh, you know, the uh, the vice president of Nissan's on it, so they're, you know, they're very influential in our community, and they participate actively in the direction that I'm going in as a department um, to support technology in the classrooms. And from that work, some of our greatest um, models have kind of come forth. The academy's model is our high school committee. Our high school reform was uh, to implement. Uh, academies and they're you know they're called career academies but we we had to drop the career name because uh, our our public wanted them just to be college and career academies 
So we just call them academies and we have over 250 business partners that are connected to our academies and I was just in a meeting earlier where they um, have some, you know, in one of our academies it's a it's a broadcasting academy and they have members that of the audiovisual field here in Nashville audio recording who have you know won Grammy awards that are in our schools working with our teachers working with our students and teaching them how to cut records and you know we we partnered with Warner Records who built a a studio a legitimate you can cut your music here studio in one of our high schools um, they designed it they helped pay for it and now they send teachers in to teach in it so it's it's just incredibly robust what we've been able to do with those partnerships around our academy structure and then we partnered you know our department has partnered with um, the Nashville Public Library we have a program called Limitless Libraries where our kids can um, check out books from the public library by just going on to a computer in their classroom and then it's sent to their school to their classroom and they get to take it home and check it back uh, in you know when they're done with it so they um, that program has won national attention uh, and and that partnership is has just been so fruitful the mayor has funded the remodeling of many of our uh, libraries with uh, funds through Limitless so it's it's just been a very um, I don't know just just very profound partnership and we continue to grow these partnerships every day I've talked to my team just this week about our alignment committee and the people that serve on that committee and what we need to do we just they just wrote a grant and were awarded a grant that would allow our students to be interns in their companies so our students would have transportation to their companies to get real-world experience in their class in, in their companies around uh, IT and, and broadcasting the, the academies that I'm personally connected to so um, super fruitful we could not be where we are as a as a school district if we didn't have the partnerships that we had throughout the community and just yesterday the chamber released our report card you can find it on uh, Nashville Chamber of Commerce website and those were things that we got great kudos for was our learning technology plan and our academy structure so the community as a whole embraces what we've done and then they advocate for us so when we're in a period of flux like we are now with our superintendent retiring we don't have to worry as much because we know the community uh, surrounds us and in many ways kind of lifts us up and carries us through the the challenging times so you really are the poster children aren't you for that whole community theme it makes perfect sense why you would have been so actively involved in that John did you have something you wanted to ask? Yeah, along this line of Keisha and Stephanie, it sounds like you haven't had, you know, really any trouble at all selling these different community partners on investing in the school system, in the education system. And I'm wondering if you had any advice for uh, other cities, other communities who haven't gotten to that step yet, kind of what is that selling proposition for these different employers, these different uh, out-of-school spaces to invest not only financially 
in education in the school system, but also be in part of the community and discussions and conversations, kind of what's in it for them? John, that is an excellent question, and this is Stephanie. I, I should have said, I don't know if everyone heard this, but yes, Keisha and I are on the same computer here, so we want to make sure that we let everyone know who is speaking, but um, I think that is a great question, and that is something that Nashville has worked really hard in. You know, five years ago, I guess, yeah, probably five years ago is really when we started making that transition, and, you know, it, it is in a great place now, but it doesn't always start out that way, and I think the best thing that you can do is go to businesses, go to your Chamber of Commerce, and educate them on just what your school system is doing. Highlight those great stories that um, what teachers are doing, what students are doing. You don't have to ask for um, finances right away. That's actually not something that um, we do. Um, you know, it's just through those conversations and those stories, um, businesses chose to invest in our schools. So um, I'd say the first thing is to not be scared of going out there, sharing your story, um, tweet other businesses, um, you know, you can let them know um, how you're integrating um, technology in the classroom and just putting it out there. Um, as I tell the librarians, the worst thing that people can tell me is no. So, you know, let them know what you are doing. And most of the time, um, people in the business world, they just don't know where to start or who to um, contact. So if you can be that person to reach out, um, I would say in both of our cases, it's pretty much been a positive one. They just didn't know who to start with. Thank you so much for that. That's that's really interesting and it's great advice, great practical advice for people to take. So I'm wondering, you know, Keisha, you were talking about before about how you served on, you know, one of those initiatives where the whole community got to really look at this idea of techno technology's role in education. And I'm curious, in terms of efficiency, how has digital media and the internet really affected the um, the actual I guess um, the practical ways that you are communicating and staying connected and pulling the community members in, is that, has that played a role? Is that something that um, has played out or has it mostly been face-to-face? -face? Oh no. We, well, one way that the community has been extremely helpful to us is uh, in unblocking Twitter and YouTube on our internet. So it was something that the teachers wanted. They were pretty passionate about it. They made the ask, and um, the our our community at large helped us educate parents on what the real risk would be of unblocking uh, YouTube or Twitter. And so we held a public meeting, and nobody showed up. So there were no 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 one was adversarial. By the time our community, you know, our partners had communicated out. There was nobody that had any questions, so that's perfect. That's exactly what what we wanted. I think that um, what what we have seen is um, our community members they partner in our schools, so they're in our schools a lot, and they see things in our schools. For example, one of my very favorite people, who's the co-chair of the committee with me. She did a lot of volunteering in the school, and she realized that the students came to high school not knowing how to how to do Excel and it upset her terribly and so rather than just being upset and getting mad she plugged into the committee 
and she said, we've got to fix this problem. And so then we come together and we develop a scope and sequence and we work with math teachers on how to teach Excel in their curriculum and she becomes more educated on when it's appropriate to, to place that in a curriculum or a program of study and when it's not and that we really don't want Excel to be a class because nobody goes to work just to do Excel. They go to work to do business analytics and they happen to use Excel as their tool. And so we're trying to embed the tools in the learning that they're getting to make it contextual. And so she understands that. So she, then she goes to our program of study and starts picking out all the classes we can incorporate Excel in. So, you know, it, it really just makes us better. And that's exactly what Dr. Registrar, our superintendent, said yesterday. He said, we love constructive criticism. It makes us, it doesn't make us bitter. It just makes us better. So we grow from our community members coming into our schools, having a partnership with us. It gives us a chance to give them a deeper understanding of kind of how the bureaucracy of education works. And it gives us a chance to learn what their expectations are of our students when they graduate from high school. So, that, you know, keeping that two-way communication is super helpful and making it a, a trusting, safe place to have the communication is, I think, what makes us uh, successful. That's great. Thank you so much. So I wanted, Keisha and, and Stephanie, I wanted to build on your Excel example a little bit because I think one of the things that's sort of a running theme with Connected Educator Month is the, uh, the frustrations that some uh, Connected Educators feel about getting their schools and getting district folks, et cetera, to really buy into making more use of technology. And, um, you know, I think we did some research, I'm putting my Grunwald Associates hat uh, a while ago, that f found that um, in schools where parental influence was high in the, in the technology process, those schools were more positive and more interested in virtually every technology and were using virtually every technology more. Uh, than in school districts where there was low parental influence. And by the way, this was not, we did the research to determine this was not a so, sort of an SES dependent finding. It wasn't just, you know, suburban schools uh, that had high technology and high parental involvement. It's not SES, it's SES independent. So my question is, is, have you found that specifically to be one of the effects of having the community involved, that, you, that the schools as a whole have more buy-in to using technology and if that's true, any tips you want to share for, for frustrated connected educators out there about how to have community members help move their school districts along in the use of technology? Well, I will start and then if Stephanie wants to add, mm -hmm. she I'm sure will want to chime in on this one. Um, so one of the things that we did to get momentum was we, you know, we of course wrote this learning technology plan and we shared the plan with uh, the teachers by way of designing an online professional development that they had to take that was eight module professional development and it was grounded in our strategic plan so you've got the district strategic plan and then from that comes the learning technology action plan and every teacher we have six thousand <clears throat> every teacher participated. We had 98% participation in that training. And from that, we, when we um, surveyed them and said, 
you know, how many of you, now that you've had this, just overview of these are the resources, this is the support, these are the kind of expectation, these are the best practices, how many of you will now go back to your classrooms and do something now that you know where the lifelines are to your to this transformation? And 83% of them said, we will. So I think that what we did in that practice is we got buy-in from the teachers. Uh, we brought together 150 of them to help us design that training. So it was training for teachers, designed by teachers, and provided for and facilitated by teachers. So it wasn't, you know, ivory tower Keisha coming in and telling them what to do and how to do it. I was just the, hey, I know you've got a problem. Let me help you solve the problem, girl. Um, the other thing with that's kind of given us some momentum is, you know, we what what the big frustrating factor for for many of our schools is the lack of parental involvement. So when you have a school district that is 80% free and reduced lunch, um, high EL populations, great uh, amount, 70% transient throughout the district then you can't hang your hat on parent involvement because you know our parents have to work. They have to probably work two or three jobs. I mean people in my department are working two or three jobs just to be able to make ends meet. So you can't um, hang your hat on that. So what we have is in partnership with our public library we have a person that's dedicated to after-school programs and we help coordinate those after-school programs in every school. So kids have a place to go and those are technology-rich programs. So kids have a place to go that gives them more exposure to the technology. Also, um, in the school during the day, we work with schools, for example, Buena Vista Elementary, 90% free and reduced lunch, 70% mobility, 30% homeless, but we gave every school, every child a laptop and there's 10 iPads in the classroom. And we concentrated on that school because everyone thinks that children of poverty might not respect the technology and they always think it's going to get stolen or damaged or whatever. That is absolutely not the case. They respect it, they appreciate it, they know it's their tool for learning and the parents know, now one thing that one little perspective that we did have is we asked the parents, now, do you want these to go home? The parents says, no, we don't. We'd rather them stay at school because when you bring them home, you know, then we're responsible for them and we're not comfortable with that responsibility. And rather than saying, well, no, we'll, we're going to teach you how to be responsible, we said, that's cool. Well, you know, if you need one, let us know and we'll check it out to you. And so as, as parents become more comfortable with the program and more aware of their child's you know, kind of progress as a result of the program, then they're asking for them to be checked out and come home. Uh, so we, we don't really, um, we don't, we want every school to be equitable. I put a little post on my Facebook that had a, a picture of three kids. There was one picture of three kids that were trying to see over a fence to a baseball game and uh, they had staggered the boxes to where every kid couldn't really see over the fence but they had the same number of boxes and in this other picture they had staggered them to where every kid could see over and the, the caption read equality versus 
equity. <clears throat> and we want everyone to have, you know, every child should graduate our schools and be able to choose whatever path they want. And if they, for whatever reason, graduate and, and feel like they can't get into the school or can't get into the program or can't get the job because they don't have the skill set, then, then shame on us. And we take that very seriously. So um, I probably bird walked a little bit with that last part, but <laughs> we're, we're, we don't want the parental involvement to impact the accessibility to technology in the classroom. And um, I'm just going to piggyback right um, on that. I think a lot of times that we assume some of these generations of parents know how to use technology, and I don't think that's always the case um, as well either. So there might not be the involvement with the technology or they feel the need for it just because they might not be aware of all the things that are available as well. So I encourage um, all um, educators listening and out there, someone can tweet this, I guess, as well, um, that, you know, when you're having parent meetings, you're having parent-teacher conferences, you know, think about taking a blended approach um, to that. Have the resources out that students use so parents can be aware and become familiar with it um, as well. Um, send a note home in your newsletter that says, check out this app to try with um, your students at home. Um, give them the tools because they they might not know um, where to start and I think that can be a first step in the direction even if they might not have you know an iPad at home or something along those lines. A lot of them have a smartphone so give them guidance on what they can do with their students just using that smartphone at home mm -hmm. as well. And it starts with a leadership so for all the connected educators out there that are frustrated if their leaders aren't modeling good use of technology and faculty meetings or in the way they communicate with staff, then you know I would, if I were a teacher in that situation, go to them and say, "Hey, you know, what if have you thought about tweeting out the announcements, or have you thought about posting, getting a YouTube channel and putting all your announcements in YouTube instead of wasting 15 minutes of everybody's morning?" And I, I know a lot of principals that, nope, they didn't think about it, but as soon as the teacher came to them and said, you know, this would be a good idea, the principal's like, well, can you help me do it? I don't know how to do it, but I would love to do that if you think it would be beneficial for you. No principal wants their teachers to feel like they don't have support, and no principal wants their teachers to feel failure. And so if they think they can change their practice to better support their teachers, 99% of them are up for that. That's awesome. So from both Keisha and Stephanie, thanks for sharing that kind of uh, call to action or that challenge for both you know, educators and admins to have a more blended or openly networked approach to the learning that's going on in the classroom and kind of enabling others to easily see what's going on as opposed to having it be kind of that four-walled garden or um, kind of the classroom ends inside the four walls. So I think that's great. I think we're seeing you know more and more examples of that happening. And Keisha, I did want to tag up on uh, something from one of your earlier points where you talked about this initiative to give kids their own personal devices, whether that's you know laptops or Chromebooks or or what have you. And I know from a recent uh, Heckinger Report article that just came out either you know, today or yesterday, they were talking about some of the stats behind 
uh, the digital divide uh, and talking about inequity and inequality, especially for disadvantaged kids, that home internet connection is actually one big challenge um, as opposed to you know, more and more schools giving kids access to devices, but if those devices aren't able to connect reliably to the internet at home, kind of, you know, that loses, you know, maybe some of the, the efficacy. So I was wondering in terms of your experience, and maybe this is just anecdotal from what you've heard, how have you seen community involvement or partner involvement helping bridge that digital divide when it comes to uh, internet access, whether that's in the home or uh, in community spaces? How are partners helping out there? Well, there's some really cool stuff going on in Kentucky and Alaska. Uh, but what we've done, you know, part of our learning technology plan includes a section called Access for All. And we have pulled our community members together and, you know, some of the, you know, quite frankly, wealthiest people in Nashville. And we've said, this is the issue. This is the result if you have technology, especially in blended classrooms, which is our goal is to have blended classrooms uh, in every, blended classrooms in every school and every classroom by 2018. So if that's our goal, then you know kids are going to have access to content at home if they have internet. We needed a whole pillar around access for all. And um, our community came together and actually created a fund so people donate to this fund that's managed by an outside entity and parents can apply for grants through that fund. So that's one way that we've tried to manage the access. We're also working with our big telco vendors um, to try to figure out how can we provide lower level access, you know, low cost access in the homes. Comcast, of course, does the $9.99, but you know, we know that's a result of a of a lawsuit, right? So they're gonna that's eventually gonna go away. And so what's the next thing? What are they gonna do next? Or how are we gonna solve this problem? When I had the opportunity to present to the FCC, I made the statement that I think we've come to the point in the US where the internet is actually a utility. So we think of it like gas and water and now we have to get connectivity to a home. And especially when a lot of homes are going away from tele telephone lines and moving to uh, communication over internet lines. And so I, you know, I think it's a bigger conversation probably at the federal level of what that's going to look like and how that should look. I think other countries have done it and they've been very successful. And I think that when the free, when the form to get access to services was put online and people that were trying to apply for welfare were told to go log into a computer and fill out their form on the internet, we change the dynamics for that. So I don't really even think it's an education issue. I think it's a society issue. And I think it's much, much bigger than uh, what we can solve in the education space. Powerful. Absolutely powerful from what you're sharing. And um, I absolutely adore, it's a passion of mine, um, working with marginalized populations, especially children of poverty. And so listening to you discuss, um, you know, myths versus truth and all the powerful ways that you're making an impact there um, just really touches my heart. And thank you um, for, for, you know, really helping to 
open those doors instead of shutting them and uh, not perpetuating the myths. So thank you for that. You know, I, I'm curious. I'm thinking about the whole community theme, and you know, it's it still is a very rare opportunity that we have um, trying to get. Uh, adults to sit to sit down with adults and to have students sit at the table and have them both discuss educational reform and I know that you do a lot with student leadership so I'm wondering are there best practices when it comes to this um, intergenerational type dialogue that you could share with others uh, who maybe want to embark on doing some of that and does technology have a role to play there? Technology always has a role to play. We just have to figure out what the right role is. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know. So that's, a, that's a really great question. I think that, you know, kind of community by community, um, it, it, that conversation can shift. I know Pittsburgh and Rhode Island and Nashville and Philadelphia and... Um, San Diego, all have, and in Hawaii, have similar structures to Nashville. Uh, we partner, we, we are very intentional about our practice to partner and very intentional about education and children being the responsibility of a community. And you know, I think that what would be interesting, and here's where technology may play a role, is to capture the stories. If somebody could capture the stories of these communities that have very intentionally uh, managed to partner community with parent, with school, and had great positive results from that partnership, if somebody could capture those stories and either run it on a YouTube channel or have it on the you know ed.gov site. I don't know where it would go so that people would find it, but I think that could be really amazing because we've worked through, you know, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. And what technology does is it allows us to see what others have done and instead of, and that's the wonder of the internet, I don't have to ever have an original thought if I don't want to. I can go online and scroll around and see what's out there and I can just jump off of that. And so I think a lot of communities, uh, for example, I know Chicago struggles with community engagement and parent involvement. If they could see what Pittsburgh's done and how far Pittsburgh's come, or what we've done, and if they could read those stories and see the anecdotes and see the resources and, and not necessarily have to pick up the phone and call somebody or figure out who to call, but just go to a page and read about it and know what to do and how to do it, or at least how to get started, I think that could be powerful. I think, you know, a lot of places, especially as we rolled out, you know, we'll use the word Common Core, we have seen breakdowns in community. We've seen huge divides between parents and schools because not it's a bad thing or it's corrupt or evil or it's going to destroy children, but people just don't understand. And the media has messaged it one way and schools have messaged, messaged it another and the parents listen to the media because that's sexier. 
And so if there was a way that we could have a resource that's available where communities could say, you know, we struggled with this too, and um, let's do what they did because we can learn from that. You know, when I'll use a hot topic, which is Ferguson, Nashville was the place of some of the most hostile race relation uh, riots in the 60s. When we saw what was going on in Ferguson, the first thing that many, many members of our community said was, how can we help them realize that this is not the way for this to go? There's a better way to do this. So we've been there. We've done that. How can we use our, how can we share our knowledge and our learning with them so they don't have to go through the pain? That's kind of the same way with uh, these partnerships. We've done this. If other communities, other school districts, other, you know, whatever, want to learn this, they don't have to start from ground zero. You know, as you were talking, I, I couldn't help but thinking, you know, it sounds like we need an online community of practice that could have specific areas of passion where we could tell our stories um, nationally across school systems, at least across those that, you know, maybe are um, based on uh, location or, or uh, demographics. Very, very interesting stuff. So, Tom? Yeah, Keisha and Stephanie, I have sort of a, a, a two-part question. I think uh, building on what you, what you were just saying about uh, Pittsburgh and Chicago and some other places, I, I've wondered if there were other examples that you uh, that you particularly heard about during Connected Educator Month that uh, you thought were interesting of how other uh, districts and are, are handling whole community engagement as it relates to your own practices and then sort of going forward um, you know we, we really want to see Connected Educator Month involve uh, more teachers and more students and community members going forward and so I wondered if you had any thoughts for us about what we ought to be doing uh, better or differently in, in 2015 to sort of continue this theme of, of whole community engagement and really make whole community engagement part of what Connected Educator Month is about as well. Uh, that is, Keisha and I, I know we don't have our cameras on, but we're both like shaking our heads yes and getting excited um, <laughs> about this question. So I think one of the greatest examples, and you know, Nashville's actually stolen from them. We were talking about Chicago having trouble you know, engaging some of the community, but some of the stuff that they've done just with their local government funds, especially for teenagers, I just find, um, you know, pretty powerful and amazing. Uh, one of the, um, I loved hearing the stories about Chicago, you know, students, IDs serve as their um, bus pass, their library card, um, and they really, and they get um, badges for attending different programs throughout the city and I just think that is so amazing. Um, everybody whether it's in schools or local government or business is all pulled in a hundred different directions and something as simple as a student ID card that can serve so many purposes and everybody coming together to make sure that teens have the programming um, that they need. Listening to that it was just like a you know an aha moment that makes can 
complete sense. So what, whether you're a large city like Chicago or, you know, um, something even smaller, um, small cities or small towns do ID cards too. What if it served as their library card? What if it allowed them to get, you know, discounts into um, other community events? It just, that just made um, complete sense to me. And I actually have to say, you know, Nashville, here they just started because of um, Chicago. Um, their student ID cards serve as their MTA bus passes um, here in Nashville. So students also realize, you know, the importance of having that ID card with them too, because um, it gets them to school every day. So I would have to say that's probably my, I what I just think is a great national model for um, any city across the U.S. or you know across the world to use. Yeah. Uh, as far as the, the second part of your question on Connected Educator Month, I, I think for me it's kind of like Black History Month. It's not just a month. So we shouldn't segment it to a month. We shouldn't restrict it to that. I think that to keep an online community and maybe there was so much going on in that month, I'm positive you had content that would have lasted all year. And maybe there can be certain topics that are highlighted in a given month um, so people don't have to select um, and maybe, you know, like we did the community engagement, but I'm sure other people would have liked to participate in some of the stuff, but they just didn't have time because they wanted to do some of the stuff Mike Lawrence was doing. So if there, if it was segmented out and there was Connected Educator Lifeline or Connected Educator whatever, Cheryl's good at naming things like that. Uh, then there could be topic of the month and, and you get your experts together every month or maybe quarters or something. But I feel pretty strongly that it would be something that could be stretched out. I know it's super time consuming and y'all are amazing at it, but um, it's really important for teachers to have a place to plug in. Not all teachers can afford an association membership. Not all teachers know where to go or, or how to get started. And so if they could look, search online and find just kind of a natural place to gravitate to, it could become a repository where they can learn about associations. Maybe one month is professional associations. Maybe one month is, uh, you know, professional growth. Like what does good PD look like? Because some, some teachers I'm sure have never seen it. So how you know, I just think it could be a very powerful pro program if it were extended and kind of ongoing. Um, I'm going to add one more thing to that too. I was just, I mean, Keisha was talking my language right there. Where there was just so much trying to choose was a difficult thing. So I think it's also for any district leaders that are listening to or school leaders, you know, also looking strategically at that calendar and what aligns with your um, goals or your strategic plan for your school and, you know, um, encouraging <laughs> your teachers um, to attend those events online or participate because, you know, there's so much to choose from. You know, a kid in a candy store, sometimes you don't know where to start. So as a leader, um, encouraging teachers to uh, participate in what aligns with your goals. That's, that's um, I really appreciate both of you saying that because that's really a direction that we, uh, Connected Educator Month, wanted to take this, especially in 2015, and to really think far beyond just a month, but to see it as something that's just ongoing. John? 
Yeah, I think that kid in the candy store quote is great because it's a great problem to have, you know, to have, you know, too many choices to connect with one another and not just with one another, but with, like we've been talking about here, other potential partners and people in the community that can help out as well. So I know we've been um, talking about Connected Educator Month as this really great opportunity for educators to connect with other educators, uh, school admins to connect with other school admins. And I was wondering for uh, Keisha and Stephanie in particular, if you had any resources or kind of go-to communities that you see for educators specifically to get in touch with potential community partners or with their local you know, libraries, museums, out-of-school learning spaces, as opposed to just other educators like them. Um, where can educators go? Who can they talk to? Uh, what are some things online that they can check out? Well, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say they can always go to ISTE. We're a happy home for every happy educator and even a few unhappy ones. <clears throat> but. Um, I, I also think that there are um, there's professional organizations and and then there's kind of communities and I, I do see ISTE as more of a community I see like ALA where mm -hmm. Stephanie is is more of a professional organization yep. and so I would I think that's stuff that they're not taught in their pre-service they're not taught these are all the things that you can participate in and should so that you can keep this learning going as you graduate from school so to have you know kind of a list or a way that we can keep up with all of those ASCD, ISTE, um, the elementary secondary elementary principals association secondary principals association ALA, ASL so many of them um, but there's also uh, Twitter and Twitter is a universe that if if teachers could just sign up. We do that with all of our teachers. We're like, we're just going to sign you up and you don't even have to tweet. You don't even have to do anything. You're just going to go in this little search thing, looks like a little magnifying glass, and you're going to type in hashtag blank. And we're, we tell them, you know, hashtag we do ed chat or uh, Stephanie has TL chat. So look up MMPS LibHack, all librarians. MMPS LibHack. So we. <laughs> We uh, we run Twitter chats and teachers can you know they can voyeur in on them and not ever participate, but it's a resource that they can go back to. We also uh, like to send them to to pages that uh, compile a lot of resources from a lot of different places and put them in one place. So there's several of those that we send out to our teachers. Um, you know, once they get out of school, their learning shouldn't cease. And once they get out of school, they shouldn't just be able to talk about fifth grade math. They should be able to talk about the field of professional education, which is the field they chose. And so I'm pretty strong in my feelings about that. And I feel that, you know, I tell my team all the time, you know, we, we have to make sure that we're always pushing that kind of research and academic conversation because it's really easy when you teach second grade to just talk about second grade and that's not you're not a second grader you're a professional educator so getting them to kind of think in that higher research realm is is what we're we're trying to do constantly and we we try to send them to to resources that will will kind of um, fulfill that need for for us 
That's perfect. So as is usually the case in this particular webinar series, 60 minutes has pretty much flown by. Uh, we are officially out of time here, but I did want to say thank you again, uh, Keisha and Stephanie, for joining us. And then also a shout out to Cheryl and Tom here for uh, really helping out with this particular series for the past couple months. There we get a I'll pull you up real quick. You get a quick video shot of the two, Keisha and Stephanie. Thanks again for uh, risking the bandwidth for a few seconds. <laughs> we, we wanted everybody to know we really did exist. Yes. There is two of us in this room. We're not puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, you too. So this does mark the last of our, again, webinars for the calendar year 2014. And we're going to have a full video recording of this webinar per usual on www.connectedlearning.tv with other curated content along the way, especially helpful for those that didn't get a chance to catch us live today. And that doesn't mean that our conversations just have to end here about Connected Educator Month like we've been talking about throughout this entire series. There's a real movement now to expand it outside of you know just the 30 or 31 calendar days. So I hope you guys will keep using the hashtag uh, CE14, and I assume it'll eventually change to CE15 once we have the agenda up for next year. And by making new friends within the Connected Learning Google Plus community and also the Connected Educators social network. And like we also mentioned, this is kind of the first year that Connected Educator Month su successfully went global, international. And I hope you'll consider donating to the Connected Educator month effort on CrowdRise, and that's www.crowdrise.com slash Connected Educator Month, and you can also sign up for newsletter updates at connecteducators.org. And the last little spiel here, speaking of newsletters, if you'd like to know more about upcoming webinars from this particular series in 2015, visit, again, the website www.connectedlearning.tv and sign up for the email newsletter there. So thank you again, everyone. Much appreciated. Thank you, John. We appreciate it, too. We had fun.